I think uh, we'll be done season one. I don't know if I ended season one in episode 12, right? That kind of makes sense. But anyway, um, neither here nor there. It is us, and we are here. And how y'all doing? You guys want to catch us up, Gerard, Dina, on what you've been up to? Um, here, nothing much. Just maintaining, um, getting through week in, week out, uh, learning, learning as much as I can for the future of education, getting time in with my family, and uh, trying to get a little reading, and that's about it. Um, I, I finally started uh, exercising more, (laughs) um, the, the, the consistent sitting in front of the computer for long periods of time was, was really starting to hurt me coupled with, um, I stress eat. So I like, and my, my body just went in full revolt mold and was like, you need to do something. So I, uh, started exercising again and adding to the walks that I try and do pretty regularly. I started uh, beach body on demand today. So That's what's up. getting, uh, getting myself um, healthier. So, and I, and I feel great because I got some exercise. That's great. You know, those Delaware beaches are opening up soon. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you on the beach, Dina. <laughs> um, we went for a hike this weekend. It's something we've been doing a lot more lately, which is great. Um, but this was like the trifecta, or maybe the quadfecta. I don't even know what the word is for. But we had a, uh, I don't know if you all saw it, but in my house, we had a double rainbow on Saturday, I think. Caught a snake with my son. Also, I believe on, maybe that was Sunday. Um, a toad with my daughter. And we that. And then my other child, we fell into a mud pit uh, on a hike in... Where were we? Somewhere in Piedra Preserve. And on the creek, there was just, just all this mud. We were in bare feet walking through the creek, and all of a sudden we fell down to our knees in mud. It was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I had the uh, contacta with uh, the family this weekend, so it was good. All right. We have a couple things to talk about, and I know this is a Delaware-specific podcast sometimes, so we're going to talk about – but this topic could be good for anyone. Um, I want to just jump in real quick because I um, – I'm hearing, and I think this is public knowledge, that Carney is asking this has some task, for, task forces to bring some ideas together about uh, opening up schools. Assuming that we're going to try in some way go back in August, um, these task forces are bringing some ideas to him by July 1st, which is about a month away. So they have some time to plan things. But are there some things that you guys think that we definitely need to do, or I can start it off and then kick it to one of you guys, but is there something you guys think that we definitely should do if we were the task force? I, the whole the whole idea of starting a school year off in a building without social distancing makes me anxious. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it makes me anxious. And I, you know, it, it's hard enough for students who are 14, you know, which is, is going to be the age that most of my students will be by the time we start back to school next year. 
Um, it's hard enough for them to socially distance from each other, but I, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like for little, little kids. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have not been to a kindergarten lunch ever? <laughs> <laughs> they are, as far as I know, they're, like, they're literally licking each other. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so what is that going to look like? I, I do wonder, I mean, so I, I don't know the mechanics of like how far away do you sit from somebody? How far away do you, you know, ride the bus even? Like how do you enter the building? All of that sort of stuff is mechanics, right? I think you, you give us our parameters and then we come up with systems that work for each building. And this is something we're going to talk about a little bit more in a second. But the other thing that I really wanted, would put into that task force is what does the school day look like? Mm-hmm. And what are the opportunities for kids to, if they need to either take a break or talk to somebody that's trusted, or how do we deal with that social emotional piece that I think I know has been talked about a lot, but hopefully it's being addressed in some sort of way with resources. That would be my biggest push. Like what does that sort of thing look like? I, I know if I was on that task force, one of my biggest pushes, and this is me putting my teacher hat on would be planning. And what I mean by that is as teachers, when we're planning a lesson, What's the what's the several things we plan for? We plan for, oh, if everything runs as smooth, then we plan for if this part of the concept hits a snag, how do I react to it? Or if none of the students get it, how do I react to it? If I was a part of the task force and piggybacking off what I just said, I would be bringing to the governor, okay, this is some things that it can look like if we do start in August. But if we get closer to August and we see that that's not a possibility, here's the backup plan for what things could look like if we start in September. Here's a here's plan C for things what things look like if we have to start in October. Like being very strategic, but once having that kind of skeleton of it, like you said, then go then digging in at the building level. Like what is it going to look like at each different levels? Like I don't I don't think it should be. Like when they're bringing these ideas, I don't think everything should be hinged on the fact of it's going back in August. Because then if we don't, then you're right back to the drawing board when y'all could have had all that, had your creative juices flowing at that same time. Right. So what about this idea? So every kid in school currently is going to be going to the next grade level or graduating, right? The seniors are graduating. There's one group of kids that's going to be coming into next school year not having ever been in school, and those are our kindergartners. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I'm thinking about is if we start remotely, how is kindergarten going to look with a remote start with a teacher you don't know in a school building you've never been in where you don't even know how this system works, right? Mm-hmm. The one thing that I think that we took away from this is that the relationships that you built with your class, your, te- your the teacher with the class, they carried over into this remote space. Like they were able to maintain their classes because they had relationships. Those that didn't have relationships, I think they struggled. I think those are the teachers that really struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became very evident pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Real fast. How do you get that first year group in remotely? Um, again, I don't, I mean, I think I, hopefully that is something like, like you said, Gerard, you have plan A, you have plan B, and then plan C is what about the kindergartners? <laughs> I don't right. know. And, and you can't really, and you can't force kindergarten teachers to really start working in July. <laughs> and honestly, build, if it's going to be remote learning, they're going to have, they really got to start building that relationship early. But that's like a catch 22. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my, my thought would be you bring support staff in and they're all kindergarten teachers. Like you just create seven, eight, nine kindergarten classes. And, and they might build an eighth three. So I would create like maybe nine. Mm. Right? And you just have groups of uh, seven or eight. Right? And you're not necessarily, um, the, you could separate them. And I'm talking face to face. Like you bring them in like a week in advance. And they just become there. If you know you're going to go remote learning to start the year, you start it face to face with those seven or eight kids in the building, like late July, you know. And again, this is just Doug Tim speaking. This isn't anything else. And you just kind of have them talk, you know. But that's plan again. I'm talking Plan C. Like, I hopefully Plan A works. Mm-hmm. But if not, what do we do? I don't know. And you guys have any other ideas as far as like a whole group? I mean, I know Dean, you're second secondary. I mean, is there things that you you're also are you looping with your class this year? Um, well, it's not technically looping um, because the um, <coughs> the it's not like you know there's a methodical plan in place. It just so happens that I was asked to move to the high school, gotcha. um, so it just yeah. So I'm actually I'm just I'm moving up with the kids, um, which so it. <laughs> It ended up being looping, but that's not really what the the plan was. Um, One of my thoughts was with um, secondary, um, would they be able to do shortened periods and still do a rotating AB block? Like that was my my first thought was, well, you could have, you know, go 50 minute periods and run, you know, these kids coming on A day and then, you know, these kids coming on B day. Um, and you would only be in the building on those, those specific days. And it would cut your, your building in half. Like it would cut the size of it in half. Um, McCain, not McCain, maybe Dickinson had a fire that ruined Dickinson when I was in high school and I was uh, at McCain and and they had us come. We went to school. Now again, not a pandemic. You don't worry about cleaning anything at that point, but we went to school at six, six fifteen, and then stayed until like 1145. And then there was like an hour break. And then Dickinson actually used the building, used McCain's school building for half a year. We did this for half a year. Wow. And it was interesting. I mean, it it worked. I mean, maybe that's the reason why my IQ is a little bit lower than it should be. But I think in all, in all reality, it actually worked out. Um, so I mean, that's something to think about, too. What you're, it's kind of like what you're saying, split it up. Yeah, it's um, it, and I think that um, there is there is a way to do this. So it it to be the closest the closest thing I could relate to it is doing like a variation of the what what colleges do when they have like a hybrid learning situation, where you know it's like you come in you know four times during a semester, four or five times during a semester, or what Wilmington. I got my my uh, masters there you know, with the hybrid course, you met twice in 15 weeks, you know, mm-hmm. so it would be something, something along, along the lines of that. Um, Built in quarantine time. Yeah. And so it's, you know what I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So you know that you're, um, if you, if you are a kid who's reporting to the building on your A day, then, you know, your B day is you're at home doing X, Y, and Z, which yeah. um, I think is actually, I mean, it, it would be, I, I kind of like that. Like I like that whole, and I know with, when I was, when I was teaching at Dover high, they had, um, you know, it's like uh, seniors could do late arrival or early out. And there were some kids who didn't come in the building at all on B days. 
you know, they just, they needed, they needed two or three classes. And so they would come in and do all their classes on that A day and B days. They just wouldn't report to the building. Interesting. And that, that I thought was a, you know, it, that could be maintained, you know, in some way, shape or form. I think that inconsistent consistency would work for secondary, but Gerard, I mean, do you think something like that would work like an A day, B day for elementary? What do you think? The the difference between, I think, elementary and secondary, um, most of the kids in secondary can be self-sufficient if parents still got to work. Being at home, like, it's it's tough for the elementary kiddos if... That's uh, I don't even think, like, what, how would we, yeah, I don't even know, because it, it would be, like, an everyday, the consistency of, like, so we do basically Monday through Thursday, we've all talked about this before, but, and it's, like, 9.30, 10 o'clock, whatever time you're going to jump on that Zoom, right? It's that at same time every day, but every other day, I, I'm, my fear with elementary is they just, you have to remind them every day, I'm like, oh, God. Well, and it just, there's, there, there's no way that parents can like if their kids are going to be home like that would be really hard for parents mm-hmm. All right. you know? so, what else, so what else besides those is there anything else you guys would throw out to the governor and say this is what we got to do i would say this too i think at a time where you realize more than ever increased funding for schools don't decrease funding for schools. yeah yes. agreed you know, I mean, no matter what that looks like, the one thing that I'm planning on doing is using an assessment tool, and I, I'm, I don't want to, to not mess up the name, but an assessment tool for kids' social-emotional learning mm-hmm. and where they're at. I'm going to use that at the beginning of the year. Um, we're already in contracted to, to do that. So it's like one of those things where I want to definitely quickly assess their reading and math capabilities because that's important, I think, especially with the amount of time they've had off. Mm-hmm. But I also want to... Uh, you know, assess their social emotional well being where they are right now and identify those kids that might need a little extra added support when it comes to either a guidance counselor or, you know, in my school, we are blessed, blessed to have a wellness center with uh, two uh, therapists. So I, I literally have four, two therapists and two guidance counselors and a full time psychologist in a school of 400. And I am blessed beyond belief to be able to wow. use those resources to help those kids. Um, and I think it's made a big difference in my school building, but but I but I also want to make sure that they have a lot of you know work when it comes back to August or whatever time it is, and we don't know who how to identify those kids because that was the one thing in my building that we were missing. Like we could identify kids on reading and math needs, but their social emotional well being was always just I heard this, you heard that. It was always like anecdotal. It wasn't right. You know, any around any sort of survey or anything like that, the kids filled out that informed us about what they were feeling, and that's something that I'm going to implement that first week and be like, "Listen, you all got to do this on this particular day, and we just got to get this done because we got to figure out who these kids are need our help." Yeah, you're you're right because right now it's like, in order for you to know those needs, you base a lot of that off of the the relationship that the adult has with the kid and are able to pick up on the stuff and then relay it to the appropriate parties right but you're not going to know that week one next year because they're not nope. going to know the nope well and and to me it comes off as being similar to what i have heard come out of teachers mouths before so i'm going to give you an example i had heard a, a teacher say something to the effect of well i think that kid is going to need this support and my question was well why do you think that and it was like oh well because i know that you know th- that kid comes from a poor background and it's like, but mm. uh, like, is that all you have? Like, it's, 
you know, I'm like, just because the, the kid might be underprivileged. And first off, do you even know that for a fact? So I had a conversation with someone in Voxer about this not too long ago. And I said to this person, they hadn't thought about it. And I'm not going to name the person because this is actually getting to our second topic for tonight, which is secondary trauma. Right. But I said to this person, I said, listen, I said, I have been visiting families and dropping stuff off. We have supplies. We have about uh, $2,500 in donations to carry down to our families. And we're, and we're giving out gift cards or shop, right? I mean, I know the state introduced their PEBT program, but we're trying to provide things for people. So I'm dropping things off at kids' houses every week. And I visited the house the other day, and it was one of my displaced students. And you know what? I'm telling you, those two, the girl and the boy, who are both going to be in my school, they're doing okay. You know what I mean? Compared wow. to what, how they've always been doing. Because they've always been displaced. You know what I mean? Like, they were, like, talked to them from a distance for a while. And they're like, they're fine. Like, trust me. Like, when I say they're fine, like, they've been doing this for their entire life. Yeah. You know? I think it's going to be not those lowest end kids that we always worry about all the time because they've already been doing this. It's going to be that next level up. They're going to be the ones that are going to struggle because yep. they're not used to this sort of thing. Those are the kids that we need to look out for. Not that we shouldn't still support those other kids. I'm not saying that we shouldn't support the kids that are displaced. We should. Absolutely. But they know how to work this system already, and they actually might be doing better off, assuming there's no sort of trauma in there or you know any sort of things going on that are outside of you know the financial part of it. But they're going to come back, I think, much better than that next tier up and that tier above that tier. Well, and it's oh, – the argument that I that I made for for this when I was having this discussion with this person, the argument that I made was as a because I'm I'm looking at it from the parental lens, and if somebody made the assumption that I couldn't provide for my child without asking the question, as a parent, I need to be given the opportunity to provide for my child. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to come to me and say, "Well, we went ahead and provided this thing because we didn't think your family could tackle that." how much more insulting would you possibly be? You know, it, it's like, don't, don't make the assumption that I can't provide. Let me do that. If, if I need the resource, then it's good to know that there are resources out there that are helpful, but don't step in to try and save me and my kids. Let and me as the parent take care of that. And I see teachers get, I see teachers get lit up for that all the yeah. time. And I'm just like, Soon as you sit like, and you know, of course, Doug, you know, of course, we always, we always get brought in at the tail end. Right. And then oh, it's like, yeah. oh, and then yeah. you're looking at the whole situation like, I would have told you from the jump, don't do that. Right. It's just, you know, you need to be able to, as a parent, provide for your kid. And, you know, it's like, if, you know, if, if you want to, if people want to throw out there that this, you know, here are some services we have, then that's fine. But like, don't step in. I mean, and it, and it's always, it, it's a white savior thing. It's uh, very much a white savior thing. There you go. I was just going to say white savior. You stole it. Go ahead. There you go. go. There you go. That's exactly what it is. It is white savior. And I think white savior can be dangerous because you can not only overstep your, your bound, your boundaries, but you can also insult someone on a level that's, more, it's more insulting than just being a racist. Like you're emotionally insulting them because you also have a relationship with that person, right? With mm -hmm. that family, with that child. And it's like, damn, again? Like I don't need like I don't need what you're offering. Like I think provide opportunities for people to ask for help, right? Whether it's through the link, 
call the school, leave a voice message. You got my number. You know I'm always there for you. Call me, whatever. But I'm not, I mean, we don't need to hound people. Do you need help? Do you need help? I got help. I got help. I got help. Like, we kind of know, like, we're in a routine now. Like, we know who needs help and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of provide it. It's not like there's strings attached. It's kind of like, here it is. And you know who to reach out to. Um, and the, the crazy thing is, like, us as administrators, we don't really talk about it. But sometimes stuff like that, like, let's say that happens with a parent in third or fourth grade. We're not going to tell the teacher like years later, but a lot of times us administrators and then an administrator on the next level up and district office, we're still dealing with the fallout from that because the like you're every year you're trying to gain back that parent's trust. And it's like always that bone of contention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they also have their own history from when they were in school, possibly about something. Yep. Right. right. All right. So that is a great segue into secondary trauma. Uh, Dina, do you want to explain to us, because you brought this idea up, as what to you is secondary trauma, why should we look out for it coming back uh, whenever we come back? And I've never heard of secondary trauma until you brought it up, so go ahead. Um, so it, you know, and, and obviously this is this is one of these things that came up when I was um, on social media. So, you, you know, there's in the grand scheme of things, everything on social media is interconnected. And if, and if one thing pops up, you'll see four things pop up in that vein. Um, and a couple of months ago, when we, when we first started, um, you know, having to, to do remote learning, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Laverne, who um, was saying, you know, we are all at the point now where we are experiencing something traumatic. You know, it's like, we're all kind of in a, a similar situation. And she's like, so interrupt you for one second in some sort of weird way. Isn't that totally awesome? It it is that we're all sharing an experience, but it's just not the shared experience. Any of us want to have, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like when you, it's like when you don't see your cousins for for seven years, and the next time you see them is at a funeral. Like nobody wants to be that to be the reason why you're you're together. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're you know we're all kind of in this this shared experience that none of us really want to be having. Um, that most of us feel inadequately prepared for. But one of the points that Laverna brought up was she said because we're experiencing this when we return back to school in whatever form that looks like, we need to be prepared that kids are are coming back and teachers are coming back, having experienced a level of trauma. And so that, you know, so of course that got me thinking, I'm like, yeah, we do need to have some supports in place for, for um, kids returning because when they do return, that's going to be very difficult because you're now looking at kids who haven't seen each other in a long time. You know, and they're they're going to have trouble reacclimating back to being in the brick and mortar school. So, I started thinking about that, and based on some of the other things that that people had been discussing or, or talking about um, via social media, that got me thinking about the fact that I feel like there's never really any support for people who are dealing with secondary trauma. And so, my my closest experience is losing a student or a colleague that you work with. Um, you know, a couple mm. of years ago, um, we had lost a former colleague who, who still had a relationship with a lot of the teachers in the building, had a lot of, had a relationship with a lot of students. Um, and 
we were all kind of experiencing that. And then I've also over the years have law students and teaching. Um, and I'm, I'm never been an administrator, but I'm going to guess it's the same vein. Um, as a teacher, you, you don't have like, it's a different relationship. Like you're not, you're not the parent, you're not a relative, you're not a friend, but you spend a significant period of time with someone. And when you lose that student, when you lose that colleague, Mm-hmm. There is a level of trauma that goes with that where you go through stages of grieving, you go through those things. And I had been reluctant for years to label that as such because so, I didn't feel I was entitled to it. Gina, before you go on, so you gave a great example of what secondary trauma is. Can you just define again what what you think secondary trauma like define it as like so like that's a great example. I agree with you. Like because you don't you also can't relate to the family in the same way, being a teacher, but you still have that emotional connection with that child or, or, or the family, or whatever. Can you just define real quick what you think secondary trauma is? Okay. So it just so happens, Doug, <laughs> that I have a printout um, that I got from online. Somewhere. Um, and I'm trying to see here because the, the type is I, I printed two pages on one side to, um, to save my ink. Um, so it's the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environment. So this is where it comes from. Um, the definition of secondary traumatic stress. Um, the emotional distress that results when an individual hears about traumatic experiences of another individual. Mm-hmm. And so that is, you know, it's, it, it is, um, and for anybody so who my, has. So the example would be if I told you my dad just went to jail. I have trauma because my dad went to jail. That would be first primary whatever trauma, right? But you would, as someone who cares about me, feel about me because my dad went to jail. Yeah, and it could be it could be that um, you you are experiencing a level of empathy for that child's experience, but it could also be that you individually have experienced a situation similar. So it's like it's mm-hmm. triggering that that stress that traumatic event that you experienced years ago yeah well that makes a lot of sense so i mean if you yeah that makes a lot of sense because you know that particular experience may not trigger a memory in my head but if you said something else like my dad or my mom or my aunt or whatever did this or did that or whatever was this then you might say oh my gosh i had the same exact experience i can relate to you i could probably be more empathetic with you but that trauma is also going to be you know reminded within me and I'm going to have to deal with those emotions before I have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Well, in in some cases, you don't even know that you're going to have emotional reaction. Like you don't you don't know what how you're going to feel, and it's just and that's you know the the um, the the child sex abuse training that we all had to go through. Um, there are some extremely graphic descriptions of experiences that people had being abused that for anybody who has been in that situation and listening to that is traumatic because it's basically it's it's facing those experiences and feelings all over again and so mm-hmm. you know you could it, it could be that you are your empathy is causing you to feel a, a stress response or it could be that you are being triggered because you have gone through that um, and so it, it's just, it adds its own level. And I, like, I, I, I would never give myself permission to 
experience to say that I am experiencing this thing. I would never give myself permission to do that. And I didn't realize until a couple of years ago, I had, um, I had a student who was um, in and out of treatment um, throughout the year because she had, um, she'd so, experienced so some... you real quick, because what you just said was a really, cause this is what we talked about before the show. Like mm-hmm. you didn't allow yourself to, to what experience? And, Cause you just said, you said exactly what we talked about for a while. Like you didn't give yourself permission to feel trauma based on someone else's trauma. Right. Something like yeah. that. It's um, I, I would not, I would not allow myself the like I wouldn't allow myself to say that this is what I was experiencing and right. I don't know if and I think Gerard and I were talking about that too like you made excuses like oh I should be better than that like I'm privileged why well, I, can't, I can't I can't even begin to, to to complain about this because I need to be stronger than that right yeah it's um well it's it's interesting because I had with my my student who um was in and out of treatment um, there were a couple of things that had happened during, during the class that I was really concerned about. So I went to her guidance counselor and I said, I'm really concerned about what I saw happening today. And I think it would be a good idea if you had a conversation with, with her to see if she's doing okay. And so I just, and right when the conversation ended, the guidance counselor said to me, are you okay? And at that moment, like it just, I started crying because I was like, you know, I, I'm like, I guess I'm not okay. And that was not the reaction I was expecting myself to have because but it wasn't me going through it. Isn't that the definition of empathy right there? Like you've experienced something they've experienced? It's, it, it, it is, but it also can be traumatic. And I think that that's where, that's where some of, that's where it can be confusing. Yeah. You know, so because you, you just don't want, like, it, and it's like you you want to say to yourself, "Suck it up," like that's right. what like I I want to be like you know, Dina, you need to suck it up because this is you know it's not it's not your experience. You're not entitled to be upset about it, right? You know, right. that took me down another rabbit hole. That I don't know when to explore that. But Gerard, you you and Dina and I were talking before the show about like so so. What do you think about that idea? Like, why do you make excuses not to take care of yourself? Sometimes I get caught in that trap of, um, you know, let, make the most of today because tomorrow isn't promised and don't put off for tomorrow what you can do today. And sometimes those statements get in your mindset. Um, and that's how I try to, if I'm trying to live that way, was a lot that of time. Um, or no. that your religious side? Like, what is that? No, what is- I guess it's kind of like, um, you know, coming from not a lot and not having people around me with, um, you know, high level degrees or whatever. And then it's like with my goals and ambitions, sometimes I think in my mind, if I don't if I don't knock it out, it won't get done. I'm, and I'm farther behind, like kind of like that. Um, God rest his soul, kind of like I watched some stuff on Kobe Bryant and he always had that mentality of, you know, about separating yourself from others when it comes to like, he was like, he was saying how he realized that once he got to the league, um, people were only working out at certain increments of time. So he was trying to increase the amount of times he worked out. Cause he was like, over the years, you will have so many more workouts in that people can't catch up. And like, I was like looking at myself. I'm like, 
Okay, what he did was what he did in his life was all about his body. So of course, even all that working out and doing what he had to do was self care in a in a way because he was physically fit. But with me, the way I'm doing things, sometimes I neglect self care, and I had to kind of this this COVID nineteen thing helped me check myself on that. Um, yeah, I remember you talking about your doctor at week, right? Mm-hmm. Is that doctor at week? You, you just buckled down. Like, Dean and I didn't hear from you for a week. I was like, is Jared alive? Where's going on? Jared, <laughs> <laughs> ah, just go on. He's just off of social media. But you took care of yourself that week, though, right? I mean, just you just got it done. Like, Yeah, like, and like, you know, like Dr. Phillips. <laughs> yeah, like, right now, I have, like, like, everything's came back, and I got, like, the reviewer gave me, like, seven recommendations of things to work on. It's like, and, I, and me and my mentor, um, chair, we talked on, I think it was Thursday. And I was just like, you know, like last month I would have been like, honey, y'all ain't gonna see me for the weekend. I'm gonna knock these out. I was like, you know what? No, I'm gonna take time for myself. And I'm like, when Tuesday rolls around, I'll get my work done. And then Tuesday evening, Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning, I'll knock it out and I'll send everything to my mentor. Cause it's only seven things now. I'll send it to my mentor on Wednesday. I was like, I'm not going to get in that mindset. Like it's going to happen. Even if it happens a little longer than what I want, I want to be able to take care of myself and at least have the kids and my wife saying he still made time for us. Yeah. So when's your defense, Dr. Phillips? Well, th- it's, that's the weird thing with my school. They won't schedule it until that reviewer be like, okay, his paper's good. Whereas I know some schools are like, um, even though you got to work on these couple things, we're going to let you defend. So I'm but thinking- no. Huh? Well, That's and I think it's, it means it'll be some quality product. Yeah. Oh, this is how, this has definitely turned me into a better writer. Like I just told my wife, I was like, after this experience, I'm definitely going to be trying to at least, even if it's like a fifty a fifty page manuscript, I said, I'm definitely going to keep writing every year, writing something. Well, hey. let me, and let me just tell you, it's if they only returned seven recommendations, that's pretty stinking good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because the first, the very first one that I turned in, they they chopped my paper up. Oh really? Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys in on something. I know we're recording this is obviously be public, but uh, I have a 37 page book on school leadership that I've been writing. Oh nice! That's what I'm talking about. I actually started five years ago when I became a principal. Carried it. Well, I, mean, I don't remember exactly when I started. I think it was five years ago. But I've been writing it for five years. And I'm just recording lessons as i learned them like big lessons i haven't done one in a while which i should but yeah we need to yeah we need to write a book at some point yeah we do we all do of all of us all right now that's cool so all right secondary trauma gerard hey so you don't know the date yet or what um for defense yeah no they that's what i said they won't schedule it until so by my estimations by when i turn everything in um it should be sometime in june Okay. You're definitely inviting us and the whole Delaware crew. Right? Oh, absolutely. I'll definitely give y'all the Zoom link. <laughs> the Zoom link. That's awesome. So All right. So secondary trauma. Let's jump back into this. Like what? So what are some things that we maybe should be thinking about when we come back for kids that are experiencing? Like, I mean, because there's going to be a lot of, I'm thinking, a lot of people feeling a lot of certain ways about each other coming back. And it's, I even had a kindergarten parent, um, I think last definitely was last week. Uh, email us and say, can you um, start my child off with remote learning in August? 
and provide that opportunity for my child. And I'm like, I, if we're coming back, we're all coming back. Like it's one of, I mean, the plan is the plan. I don't know what the plan is, but we already have parents asking us, can we have this option? And I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how to help people. I don't know how to help people. I mean, this is where this is difficult. It's um, I think it's a, it's it's such a tough thing because everybody's experience, even though we're all sharing an experience, everybody's feelings and reaction to said experience are going to be something that's a little bit different. Right. And it's it's hard for me to to say that we need to like here is here is how it should be handled. Um, just in terms of like what happens with secondary trauma is that, I mean, your, your reactions to that can be different. Like people could be experiencing burnout, which is what a lot of teachers were experiencing. You know, and I think we, we've all discussed this to some degree, like at some point in time, you either lost your stuff week one or week two or week three, you know, like, and it could be due to burnout. Um, it, it's talking to yourself too much on Zoom. Like I get on a Zoom meeting and I'm like, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what that, to that. <laughs> yeah that that happens that happens with a lot of um, stuff. And I think my my issue my issue last week was, and I think it was you know it was I think it was good for us to not to not record last week because I had kind of like flatlined. You know, it's like, I just, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't want to do anything. I can't do anything. I lost all the motivation that I'd had. And it's because for two weeks straight prior to that, I was going, 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 going. And it's like, I was doing my, my Zoom classes plus individual calls with students, plus yeah. looking at, at, you know, things online and trying to provide feedback and having to repeat the feedback because the kids didn't look at it the first time. And, you know, and I try not to judge that because I'm like, they just missed it somehow. However they missed it, it's not up for me to judge. They missed it, you know? And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was like, and it was like a, a cycle of, you know, I was doing like no less than an eight hour day. And granted, I was able to get up and go to the bathroom or, you know, go get a snack if I felt like I needed it. But it, it felt like the day didn't stop. And yeah. this went on for two straight weeks. And when I wasn't doing that, my mind was constantly going where I'm like, oh, let me let me research this thing. Or, ooh, let me order this book because I think it's going to help me. Or, ooh, let me do this thing. And it's like, and I signed up for like four things I probably shouldn't have committed to. Um, <laughs> but it was, I was in that zone, you know? And so then the I following week, when everything yeah. came to a screeching halt, I burned out. Yeah. Now, it, it, it is funny because I've experienced the exact same thing as you. Like, so I am one week, go, 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 go. Like, I am like riding high. I'm doing good. I got this and that idea, blah, blah, blah. I created this agenda. I put this out to staff, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I'm like, ah, I don't know who my audience is. I don't know who was reading or doing any of the stuff that I'm suggesting. And I'm like, all right, then where am I right now? Like, what is my worth? Like, I always go back to, like, what is my worth to my school, my district, my building, my family? Like, uh, am I worthy? And then I come in and then I and I cycle back into this horrible, like, I don't even know if I should, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? So it's it's definitely a roller coaster, which in retrospect, I think we're going to be all better people because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I also know they're all going to need a lot of help to become better people because of it. <laughs> well, and I, I think that to, <laughs> to, to some degree, um, you know, and I, years ago when I found out I was pregnant, um, one of my teachers who, who everybody kind of looked at as, as a work mom, um, she had said to me, this will change how you teach kids because you're a parent now. Um, and oh, yeah. so my, my understanding of teaching children is, you know, very different now that I have a, a child with special needs, yep. you know? Yep. So it's like, I, I handle things much differently and I have more empathy for parents because I am in that situation as a parent myself. So I get it. And I have a different level of understanding than teachers who don't have children because they don't understand what that's like, you know, for your kid to have a bad day. And then you got to deal with that, you know, and for me, it, it might be four hours, like after the school day, it might be four hours. And so I can't get done the things that I need to do for work because I have to be a mom at that point. Like I have to, I'm switching to mom mode. I've got to be there and be mom. Um, so I have a different level of empathy for that. And my hope is that when we return, people will treat children in learning differently because they have been in this experience and they understand how this must feel. You know, I'm hoping that, that there will be a level of empathy aside from all the things that we, we can't stand, like, you know, yeah. testing and everything else, you know, which we would all like to see go. Um, you know, it just, I would, I'm hoping that my greatest hope is that that is what happens and that changes the way people teach. Yeah. So Gerard, I'm going to bring you on this one because we're at minute 41 right now. We probably should end this soon, but I'm, I'm, I'm watching videos of like, what did you call them? Gen Z people, Dina, a 20 year old? Uh, Generation Z. So Generation Z, you know, I'm, I'm thinking right now they're angry, right? They're angry. They're pissed off. Especially the white kids. Like, what do you mean I can't go outside? What do you mean I can't do this? Like, what do you mean I can't do that? Like, all of a sudden, I think this is going to be that generation, unfortunately, of white kids that's going to do our country worse off than better off. Because they're going to be pissed at the government. It's going to be that whole militia movement again from the early 90s. Remember when the militias were huge? Like, yeah, I remember that. I was a kid, dude. Yeah, like let's arm, let's all get bulletproof vests. Let's all like, like, why? What are you doing? Like, what is the problem? Like, why are we all becoming racist all of a sudden? I remember the early nineties vividly because that was part of like my growing up, and I'm like, why are militias these white militias forming? Um, so I don't know. I mean, the whole I'm we're still talking about secondary trauma, and I know I brought up a completely curveball here a little bit, but oh, that's I, gonna be some secondary trauma. Yeah, but I still look at this and I'm thinking, like, how can I, as a white educator, help my white friends that maybe because it has ripped the bandaid off of equity, this whole mm-hmm. coronavirus thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you see it everywhere. I mean, the whole idea about the Karen, like, you know, I think you brought it up a couple weeks ago about Karen. Like, I mean, it's a it's a hashtag. I mean, there's videos every day. I I retweeted one today that was just. Absolutely ridiculous. Like, <laughs> mom, and she listens to our podcast, so I'm going to shout her out. But she even was like, These white women are crazy now. I'm like, All right, mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's like, 73 years. She's like, These white girls are crazy. I'm like, Yes, mom. <laughs> Maybe we drove down to the beach this weekend. She was, she said the F word in front of me. She said, 
D-I-C-K. She's talking about some joke. I'm like, what? My oh, mom said Mama. Oh, it was man, crazy. mom. <laughs> yeah, my mom was crazy. I was like, all right, mom, you're getting there. You're getting there. But um, that's my project, right? That's like that's my current project. But so mom said these white women are crazy. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. All right. My mom's going to be listening to this. I'm going to keep it at that. But <laughs> we love your mom. Conversation behind the CRV driving down the beach was lit for real. <laughs> I just want to go on record as saying that I would never describe a conversation with my mom as being lit. So that's all. <laughs> yeah, it probably wasn't lit, but I felt like it was lit. Anyway, <laughs> if he recorded, I would have put it out as a special broadcast. Yeah. Just, just, anyway, yeah, um, but you write that band aid has that band aid equity has been ripped off. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of it. I mean, so I think that's going to play into a little secondary trauma as well because. I mean, I don't, here's my, I don't know what my kids have been doing. Like my secretary and I, like we're allowed to go back in the building now. So we've been in a couple of days that we've been talking. Like, and when I talk to her, we talk about kids, right? Cause she's really connected in the community. She's been, she's been doing like awesome work. And I'm like, have you heard about so-and-so? I've heard from so-and-so. I've heard from so-and-so. And she's like, yes, no, yes, this, whatever. And like, usually when you worry about a kid, you go grab them out of class. Like I go get that kid and I pull them in. Like now, I don't know how to pull them in. You know what I mean? And I think that secondary trauma is going to be really hard because you're not, we've got to come up with a good assessment tool. I'm just saying, where are these kids coming back? And I don't know what that looks like, but. It's, uh, uh, well, and I guess in terms of like, you know, dealing with staff, um, you know, I'm, I made um, myself and another staff member when I was at Dover High we would do a regular, we would do a regular check-in with each other. So, you know, shout out to Mr. Bailey. Um, but we, he and I would, every time we saw each other, we would make it a point to say, how are you taking care of yourself? Really? Um, yeah. And it just, he, it's, and, and so it made so us, need, it made us accountable. Need, so we need buddies. That's a great idea, Dana. Like we need staff buddies. It's because I think that one of the one of the problems that comes out with um, you know, in it, dealing with dealing with burnout, um, and there is a difference between demoralizing situations and burnout. And so I, I do want to say that people need to be very careful about um, because demoralization happens in a lot of schools, um, you know, across the United States. But you know, burnout's a separate thing, and a lot of times. Um, you know, uh, administrators will want to put a plan in place to be like, oh, well, we should have the staff members do this. And it's like, so you're going to add one more thing on top of their already busy schedule that they're already stressed out about, like you're going to give them exactly. something else to do now. Um, but I think that having somebody that, you know, will check in with you. And that was, I used to do that a lot with new teachers where I, I wasn't officially assigned a role, but I would just go to new teachers rooms and say, how are you doing? Yeah. Like, no, you know, have that conversation. But, but what if you make that a part of the culture, right? So here's what I was thinking when you said that. And I never thought about that, but it's such a great idea. And it's super simple and it's free, right? Mm-hmm. Like staff buddy is free. As a principal or assistant principal or whatever, like I can get you a staff buddy, no problem. Like I'm just going to come up with a form. So what I would say is everybody has to submit. Who would be the one person you'd want to come to your room to ask, how are you doing? And if it's that, if that one person has, so let's just say, Dina, that 12 people say you're the one. Then I would come to you as a minister and like, listen, like, I, clearly, clearly people trust you, right? Clearly people want to talk to you. Can you, to start the year, be that person for 12 people 
and I will take this off of your plate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just do that for me. You know what I mean? Because I think that would happen in my school. I think that would be a great idea. Like, why wouldn't you just have staff buddies? Like, kind of like I was talking to you guys earlier. I had a, for Teacher Appreciation Week, I had everyone submit a song um, that they've been listening to on repeat during coronavirus. And some of them are explicit and inappropriate or whatever. But so I just made a playlist on uh, Spotify and they shared it with staff and said, I don't even know who submitted the songs because I just don't want to know because, again, some of the songs are a little explicit. <laughs> but I just said, hey, just try to figure out whose song is who. So that's how we run some meetings sometimes. We just get in there and we just say, like, the last one meeting I had last week, it was actually a lot of fun talking about whose song was whose. So I think Staff Buddy is a great idea, Dina. Yeah, it's um, it was um, it was really helpful, and we still kind of do that, even though we're not in the same you know building anymore. He and I check in over social media, like you know he'll you know we'll we'll still ask the question, and it just and it's helpful because it gives you um, it, there's a sense of caring about that. But we need you know, to be excited about it coming back. I think. Yeah, it, there definitely needs to be a, a more of a mindfulness around that, and and I would say, I mean, that's this resource that I found, I can, you know, I know that I saved something with it and I could, I could share the link with you guys, but, um, you know, there are things in here about, you know, like what it means to, to practice self-care and there's like a checklist, you know, are you, and it's and the funny, the funny thing is the first thing at the top of the list is eating regularly, which I am uh, the first to say that it. when things get crazy, I will, I will skip meals and not in an intermittent fasting kind of a way. Like I will, no, no, I will no. not eat. So hold on, let's bring Gerard in this conversation. All right. Before you came on, Dean and I were talking about our eating habits. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem discussing my eating habits currently, but they've shifted since the beginning of coronavirus. Gerard, you're on board. Can you talk about your eating habits? Absolutely. All right. Oh, um, who wants to go? I, go ahead. Me, if if it first started off, okay. Let me start. Well. I feel like we should pause the podcast and have a conversation with you. First. No, 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 no. It first started off with I was doing. I, no, I'm just telling you right now, like, we have some legit ideas that work for us. Oh no, well, so, well, me. You want us to go first, and then you jump in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all go first. Because <laughs> I want to see what y'all was talking about before I put myself yeah, yeah. out there. You weren't part of that conversation. I'm just trying to help you out, oh, man. All right, then you want to go, or you want me to go? You go first. All right, so. When I started coronavirus, I was eating everything all the time, every day. I was like, just, it didn't matter. I mean, like, tostito, salsa, 9.30 in the morning, whatever. <laughs> 10 pounds. And for me, I mean, like, I'm a pretty skinny dude to be in this. It wasn't that bad. But then I stepped on the scale. I was like, oh, I was like, I was like, man, I was like 226 pounds, right? I'm like, that is a lot for me. So then I said, all right, so what I had been doing before coronavirus is I intermittently fasted. And I think Tina's going to talk about this too. But I stepped it up. I just intermittently fast now from, I eat at like 5.36. And then I might have some peanuts late at night, maybe some pretzels. And then I won't eat again until dinner the next night. So I'll have maybe a tangerine. Something citrusy is usually pretty good. Strawberries are okay. Grapefruit. Um... But citrus tends to, like, speed up your metabolism. So I'll go for a run. I'll drink black coffee. I don't put anything in my coffee. And then I drink water. 
uh, all day, and then I just try to hold out until dinner again. But I also, as well as Sandina, I enjoy cooking. So the cooking part of it is fun to just come up with something and be hungry and ready to eat, and then just don't eat too much. But that's my deal. All right, Dina, what you got? Um, so I had, um, I've done, um, keto for about two years on and off. And l- before I had, had shifted back into it last year, um, I like, basically it was, I, I tend to stress eat. And so I had, um, after I was doing keto for about a month, I decided to like start doing intermittent fasting, which was really helpful for me. And at some point in time, your, your body, um, shifts out of needing carbohydrates and into relying on fat to get energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what, what was happening to me is it's like, I I was doing okay, maintaining like, you know, not eating too terribly except for like two days a week. And when I was going, when I was going like hardcore junk food, I was really going hardcore junk food. Like I was like, let's order from Domino's and let me like dip everything in marinara sauce. <laughs> like that was, we would order, we would order extra marinara and I'd be sitting there with those, like those containers of marinara sauce, dipping my pizza in it. Like, you know, cause that's, that's what I was doing. Um, so it just, so what basically what has ended up happening is that like I have, I have shifted out of that. And what I found is that, it's really, for me, it is, it is both the diet and the exercise. Like I have to maintain both because it's, um, sitting for too long. I've got, I've got a fractured herniated disc in my lower back and sitting for too long causes everything in like my hips all the way around to ache. And when I get up, I have a very difficult time walking. Um, so the, the exercise and the, the watching what I eat is helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's not that's not yeah. too bad. Nah. Yeah. What you got, Gerard? You got, you got a system down? Um, oh yeah, uh, my, my, yeah. This, March thirteenth. What's what's your? Oh, the, stay healthy. System. The system I got down now is I just try to lay off of as many meats as possible. I try to stick to the vegetables, the salads, um, the meats that I've been doing have been like seafood, and if I do um any other type of meat, it's gotta be a small portion. The coffee thing I'm still struggling with. Like I just do a little dash of cream but it's like that the nothing the coffee thing is a struggle but my balance is um definitely exercising several times a day like i started back walking slash running and like kind of doing it um at intervals <clears throat> trying to like try to do it all within an hour like i'll run a little bit um mm-hmm. for for a certain distance then i'll walk while i'm listening to something run a little bit same thing then come back and do um like a little bit of Funk Roberts uh, exercises of like burpees, push-ups, or some certain things, and then, um, and I try to do a little bit in between zooms. So I'm like you, Dina. I, I gotta have both. It's gotta be diet and exercise, and they can't be like no exercise, no diet, or I won't see any. I won't see any um, progress. Yeah. So Gerard, do you play golf at all? No, I want to. I want to get actually get into golf. Like I went to the driving range with. Um, I took my daughters there one day when we was out of school, and um, my middle daughter's real good at it. Like she, like not I would say good, but she was better than all of us. So it's like, oh, that might be your niche. But I definitely that's something I definitely want to get into. Dina, do you play golf at all? No, I. It's I. I always tell people like if I can't play any sport that requires me to run with or hit or catch a ball. So no, it, it's, not, it's just it's. You stand and hit a ball. You, oh, you can't see, 
say no. Like I can't even play miniature golf. Like we're looking at like, you know, it's just, it's bad. But I mean, I appreciate right. that what you have to put into it. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. And, and we're at minute 55, 29. Oh, man. Right. We're going to schedule a golf outing. We'll have three cars. <laughs> distance. Don't worry. We'll, we'll meet somewhere in Dover or whatever. It'll be in the middle of the state. So we can all kind of be at the same. Yeah, we're scheduling this post meeting. So. We're definitely all playing golf because that would be such a great conversation. <laughs> Here's what's fun about golfing and talking to people. When you golf and talk to people, like you're not – I am horrible. I am really horrible at golf. And I get so angry, but I have to have a civil conversation with you while I'm so angry at how easy this sport should be. Like all you're doing is hitting the ball. But you can't do it. It's so hard. Anyway. <laughs> well, and it's just, you know, I, you know, it, same kind of thing. Like I, I'm really not a great bowler, you know, but I do it because I enjoy it. You know, it's yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not really doing it to, to be competitive. I just enjoy it. You go for the experience. Yeah. All right. Well, the, the, uh, chat, uh, speaking educationally podcast, annual golf outing will be starting in <laughs> We'll have to practice for a while. <laughs> we'll raise money for school. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> All right, y'all. You got anything else to add to this for right now, or should we stop? Are we good? I'm good. Yeah, I think yeah. we're good. All right. Educationally with uh, Doug, Adina, and Gerard.